Welcome. My name is Yvonne Benninger-Rothschild. I'm the Executive Director of the EICC New York. This podcast is brought to you by the European American Chamber of Commerce, a platform where Europeans and Americans connect to do business. To produce this series, we have asked our members from across Europe and the United States to discuss current events and how they may affect transatlantic business activities. In addition to this recording, I invite you to listen to all of our podcasts. You can find them on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. I hope you will enjoy the insights our members together with my team have put together. And I encourage you to subscribe to the EACC podcast series on your favorite podcast server and to rate and share them with your friends and colleagues. Hello, my name is Paolo Fratino Melendez. I manage member engagement at the EACCNY, and I'm also your host for this series. So in this episode, we will be discussing the issue of immigration and mobility in light of Brexit. And our speakers today will discuss what UK and EU nationals should do now to secure their residence and why it is important to do so. Our first speaker, Gavin Jones, is based in the UK and the head of immigration at Osborne Clark. And with over 20 years of experience, Gavin especially focuses on inward investment and helping international companies set up in the UK, among other things. Along with Gavin, our other speaker is Vanciane Resslink, who brings another 20 years of experience to the table. She is a senior counsel in the employment team in Brussels and one of the founding team members of Osborne Clark in Belgium. Vanciane specializes in business immigration, labor implications of company takeovers, and business downsizing and more. Um, so we're very excited to have you both here today. And with that, I leave it to you, Gavin. Hi, my name is Gavin Jones. I lead the corporate immigration team at Osborne Clark, a European-wide law firm. And with me today is Vantian. Hi, I'm Vantian Pislink from the Belgian law firm, uh, well, Osborne Clark in Belgium. I'm an employment lawyer with expertise in Belgian law, but also in international mobility regarding Belgian uh, employees or businesses. Thanks, Antia. I thought it'd be quite useful to just have a quick chat about Brexit. For understandable reasons, the last few months, people have not really been focusing on Brexit and rather taken up with COVID. So it's not quite with a bit of light relief, but it is just worth reminding everyone Brexit is still going to happen. And let's just talk through some of the impacts that uh, that would bring. I think initially, maybe worth just having a little bit of a history lesson on the basis that legally, at least, most of Brexit has actually happened. We are currently in what's called a transition period. The idea being that during this period of time, up until the end of this year, specifically 11 o'clock UK time, midnight Europe time, obviously, the UK and the European Union are meant to be agreeing how the relationship works going forwards from the 1st of January 2021. So at the moment, at least, nothing changes. But obviously, come the 1st of January, everything changes. I suppose the biggest problem or, or the biggest change that people are trying to get their heads around is how do you undo 40 years of freedom of movement, freedom of trade, etc., that everyone has enjoyed for such a long period of time? And because it's been so long, there are many, many people that will know nothing other than the European Union and the freedom of movement that brings. With that in mind, let's just talk through some of the things that perhaps we need to be focusing on. 
Um, yes, I think the, the first comment or thing to know about Brexit for U.S. companies or U.S. nationals is that U.S. nationals will see no change as from the 1st of January uh, 2021. Basically, Brexit is about or concerns the mobility between the UK or UK nationals and the Euro European Union and its 27 uh, member states and reversely. It's really a matter of having your employees travel and reside back and forth between uh, the UK and the European Union and they won't be able, unfortunately, to do it as freely as they've been doing it for many years, as Gavin just said. So I think that's very important to know that for U.S. nationals as such, nothing will change after Brexit. I think that's a really good point, Vance. Um, there were, as you would say, 27 member states. It used to be 28. 28, and yeah. As far as uh, U.S. nationals and U.S. companies are concerned, um, it, it was always slightly confusing because it, it is the European Union, but each individual territory, each 28 countries, had their own particular immigration law. And therefore, again, you know, for, Euro, for US nationals, no change. But there is going to be a massive difference in that it, it splits Europe into two, not geographically, of course, but as far as a, a, a territory for those countries. So I suppose one of the issues um, that we need to think about first is given that so many people will have lived for so long in another territory and their rights to continue that are coming to an end. What can they do? Well, I, I think for those people uh, you just mentioned, Gavin, the most important to know is that if they have been residing, lawfully residing in uh, either the United Kingdom or one of the 27 European member states until now and until the end of this year, they can definitely do something to secure their rights by uh, applying for the uh, settlement status under the UK law or the European or local um, member state law. And that is so by the end of this year. If um, your employees are residing in either the UK or the EU for now, they can secure their rights, meaning their residency rights in that uh, country and their right to work in that country freely without any um, work permit or work authorization by yeah, applying for that specific status under the withdrawal agreement and uh, by demonstrating they have been residing lawfully in that country by the end of this year. And well, there are different ways to provide evidence of that uh, status and that residence in the EU or in the UK. And uh, typically that will apply for both sides of the, of the pond. Typically the uh, evidence would consist in having uh, employment contracts um, ongoing, uh, bank statements demonstrating that um, your employees have been in uh, in the concerned countries uh, by the end of this year, uh, having lease agreements or utility bills, basically any documents um, showing that you have been uh, residing in the Europe or in the UK before the end of the transition period. And by demonstrating that um, residency in the uh, either of the uh, countries, they will secure their rights, again, residency rights and right to work in that country 
for the future as well, even after the transition period, so as from the 1st of January of, of next year. So this is really key for um, your businesses and your employees on a mobility program, at least between Europe and the UK, to look for that evidence and to make that step of applying for the settlement uh, status um, either under the withdrawal agreement in the UK or in the EU member state where they are currently resigning today. So this is really key for them to have a, a bright future with no change at all, I would say. But um, for those who don't do it, then it will be a, a total different story as of the 1st of January 2021, because depending on the deal that will be uh, sealed between the European Union and the UK um, will know what's the, what the future holds for them. But if there is no deal by the end of this year, they will be uh, regarded as third country nationals by each of the um, European member states or by the UK, depending on which way they, they travel and they want to work. That, and that's really important, Van Sian, yeah. So just thinking about it out loud, for years, you've had people living, working, crossing borders without any concerns whatsoever, sometimes commuting, sometimes living. And although there are 28 different countries, the residency permit follows some fairly broad principles, i.e. you've got to show that you've been living in that state, not just visiting. And, and certainly as far as most countries are concerned, merely having a property doesn't qualify. You've got to show some evidence of actually living there. Um, and therefore, you know, bank statements are useful because they show, you know, day-to-day -day act activity within whatever country you're looking to apply for your residence permit. That's really important. I suppose it becomes even more important given that Europe is, each of the territories is, compared to the USA, relatively small. People travel, not so much at the moment, but generally quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And I can see there being difficulties, perhaps, in someone who's been living, let's say, in Belgium, France, Germany for the last 30 years, never having needing any kind of permit. If they go and visit friends, family, whatever, and let's say March next year, the absence of the residency permit for where they are meant to be living can cause them real problems when they try and get back into the country because, as you said, they'll be treated as third country nationals. And why are you why are you coming here? Where's your right to work, for instance? So that means, Gavin, that if, as uh, let's say in March next year, I want to visit you in London, then I will be uh, treated as a third country national, and I might need to well seek either advice or at least know what I can do um, if I come to visit for a week. What kind of duties can I do? Can I actually work or can I just, can I visit clients or can I just only work with my colleagues uh, at Osborne Clark London? Exactly that. It's such a, a big change in mindset and it's going to be really carefully considered by anyone traveling. Why am I going? What am I going to do when I'm in another territory? Again, as I said, the, the general principles across Europe tend to be reasonably similar, but each country has their own specific immigration law. But I think there is generally a provision across all of Europe that if you have an entity, a company incorporated within the country that you are going to visit, 
it is largely assumed by immigration control that whatever you are doing in that country is for the benefit of that entity. And therefore, you just need to be clear that, generally speaking, internal meetings with colleagues, okay. If it's client-facing or something that really is specifically for the benefit of that local entity, that is more than likely going to need a work permit. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that we haven't had to consider before. Yeah, it was really natural to to travel back and forth um, from the EU to the UK, and and now it will will need to carefully consider it ahead of any any traveling. Uh, so so uh, will our clients uh, with their staff and workforce uh, deployed or on temporary assignment or permanent uh, assignment in the EU member states or in the UK? This is something that will change, and that either HR and immigration department and services will need to consider and actually start working on right now. Um, because securing, what, what I think is very important for these HR and immigration teams in the US to know is that even if they have UK uh, employees in the EU or EU employees in the UK, and even if these employees secure their rights uh, before the end of this year, the withdrawal agreement, uh, which you know allows the maintenance of the well, the safeguard of the right residency and work, it only concerns um, the country in which the employee resides at the time where when he applies for the settlement. It does not allow for any intra-European mobility. So if you have someone uh, in Belgium or Spain or, or Germany and uh, a UK citizen applying for settlement by the end of this year and securing his right, this right will only be secured for Germany. So they can still reside um, uh, in Germany, they can still work in Germany without any work permits. And for a long time, probably if nothing changes in their employment uh, and, and there's no interruption in their work or assignment, it will be for a lifetime. But it won't be the case if from Germany they want to travel to Italy or Spain or the UK or elsewhere in, in the European Union. So it's quite important to know that each 27 EU member states will uh, treat them uh, as third country nationals, depending on what the uh, agreement with the EU and the UK will foresee, but probably as third country nationals with, of course, exceptions, but uh, except for the country where they apply for the settlement. That's, that's a really good point. Um, you're right. Um, a UK national living in Spain can't then go and work in Germany. Um, I suppose the other, the other thing to think about is uh, there's the obvious things like sometimes work is obviously work. Sometimes a visit is obviously a visit. There's, there's quite a lot of grey in between, and that's going to need a, a bit of a case-by-case -case analysis to a degree, commercially as well. But you've also got the soft clues. If you regularly travel, there will come a point when you are questioned, irrespective of what you're doing. You enter Spain on a Monday, leave on a Friday. Sooner or later, it's going to look like you're working, even if you're not. So it's just really a matter of being very, very aware that what freedoms have, have previously been enjoyed, they are removed. And I don't think any of us know how concentrated immigration control at the various border will be looking at former EU travellers. But uh, I suspect that just like coming from the US, there will be increased interrogation. I, I mean that with a small eye, but increased um, questioning because of the political 
sensitivities. I guess then, if we if we think about it from the perspective of um, an American company who have European entities, um, what are the key takeaway points? Do you think, Vansiam? Well, the very first one would be that uh, U.S. nationals, as we said, will see no change. This is a, a very first uh, important key takeaway, I would say. Then what I would suggest is that uh, these uh, businesses screen uh, their employees and, and spot those who are currently in the U.K. or in the EU right now and um, invite them to secure their rights uh, of residency and work in those countries uh, right now, as soon as possible by the end of this year, by all means, and uh, also invite them to collect evidence of that stay. We mentioned earlier uh, bank statements, lease agreements, and all the likes. Another key takeaway, sorry. Say the first thing, if you're living in a country, get the evidence, get the residence permit to just draw a line and make it very clear that that's where you live, because it, it is an obvious record of your right to work and your right to reside. Absolutely. Yeah, another key takeaway would be uh, also to screen your clients and to see what clients uh, need for their you know, the managing of the relationship with the client, what client needs or imply um, either intra-European mobility or mobility between the EU and the UK, and maybe build, maybe change actually your, your teams to make sure that client has the best team uh, to be able to still work and travel back and forth to visit them and to make sure they maintain this relationship with the clients. Uh, another one would also then, sorry, Damjan, a really good excuse then to have a kind of a quite a deep dive conversation with your customers to say, you know, what are you doing for the next six to 12, 18 months? You know, how can we support you? Get that data, get that really valuable client information, and then set up your client support team accordingly. Get them in the right territory early and structure it so that you are able to service the, the client. And again, I think it just looks really good to have that information in advance about what your what your clients are looking to do. Yeah, it's good client uh, relationship uh, management anyway to to have that kind of conversation and to know what's there what's on their agenda for the months to come, Brexit or or, or not Brexit. Then for for your um, employees or, or or employees of the U.S. companies in uh, Europe or in, and in the U.K. who won't benefit from the withdrawal agreement and won't have any right to residency or to work secured by the end of this year, then we suggest planning ahead and I would say even now as soon as possible their arrival to Europe and to the UK to make sure they obtain the necessary work permits, work authorization and visas to make sure they can start working uh, smoothly as from the 1st of, of January next year or in the weeks uh, following. So yes, these are the main key takeaways, I would say. Yeah, and I suppose not, not one for this podcast, but I suppose there was the other issue, which is you have had disparate employees perhaps all over Europe. The next question is, do you need to set up more local entities? Yeah, indeed. But, but that's for another day. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Vanzian. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you both. And so that concludes this episode with Gavin and Vincent on immigration and mobility post-Brexit. Another thank you to our audience. We hope that you enjoyed listening to our program and uh, stay tuned for our next podcast where we muse about Brexit. Take care.
Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the European American Chamber of Commerce, New York. Please remember to subscribe and rate this episode and be sure to check out the complete list of recordings on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. If you have any thoughts or comments about this series, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at membership at eaccny.com to learn more about our work, how to get involved and how to join our transatlantic network.